0: I'm Bert Cohen and if we keep on pushing we are keeping democracy alive. Check the poll. Stand clear. Push to shot. <laughs> of man. Well, it seems that the murder of George Floyd has shaken awake a lot of us white people to the fact of systemic racism, which black people have always known about. The fact that millions of white people could not help but watch an actual grizzly killing as it happened, all eight minutes, 46 seconds was a shock to the system, which brought out millions in angry protests, not just here in America, but all over the world. Of course, systemic racism is hardly limited to this side of the Atlantic. The policy of white male domination and control is hardly new, and it does not stop at national boundaries. I remember hearing the phrase, darkest Africa, when I was growing up in the 50s. It was common to paint that huge continent as a fantastic, exotic, mysterious place with what we now see as incredibly racist images of the savagery which only existed in white people's imagination. Anyone but me remember having a globe that had Africa nearly entirely divided up between British, French, German, and Belgium ownership? Something called the Scramble for Africa started around 1870, when 10% uh, was under European domination, but by the start of the First World War in 1914, it was around 90%. The European colonialists had several motives, a desire for valuable natural resources, the quest for national prestige, rivalry between European powers, and religious missionary zeal all of which went together nicely. I remember wondering about all those neat straight-line borders. Who drew them? (laughs) Were the local people even consulted? So where are we today, well into the 21st century, with this new worldwide activism against such incredible racism? Does it carry forward toward the liberation of Africa and the end of colonialism and imperialism at last? Today's show focuses on an ongoing U.S. Out of Africa Shut Down AFRICOM Campaign with one of its leaders. Tunde Ose- Zua is a member of the Black Alliance for Peace Africa team and the coordinator of the U.S. Out of Africa Network, which is the organizational arm of the Black Alliance for Peace's campaign designed to end the U.S. invasion and occupation of AFRICOM. Tunde, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, the U.S. has military bases pretty much everywhere on the planet. We know about Afghanistan and Iraq. But even members of Congress were surprised when four American military personnel were killed in Niger. I'm guessing nearly everybody who's listening never heard of AFRICOM. To get us started, what is AFRICOM? What are its purposes and goals?
1: Right. Yeah. Um, the unit AFRICOM, or the United States Africa Command, it's like a full-spectrum combatant command, and it's responsible for all of the U.S. Department of Defense's operations, um, exercises, and security cooperation on the continent, its islands, nations, and surrounding waters. That's how they they describe themselves uh, in in official AFRICOM documents. But in truth, AFRICOM is uh, the colonization of Africa by the U.S., and it constitutes the new scramble of Africa, Uh, tantamount to, as you mentioned, you know, in the 1800s the colonial powers fought over which of them would dominate which parts of the resource-rich continent, like at the Blaine Conference uh, at the time and and in other ways. Uh, And the purpose of AFRICOM is to use U.S. military power to impose U.S. control of African land, resources, and labor to service the needs of U.S. corporations and the wealthy in the United States. Uh, In truth, uh, U.S. military presence in Africa, it didn't begin with AFRICOM, but AFRICOM formalizes that presence with better coordination and strategic focus for realizing the long-term geopolitical goals of U.S. imperialism in Africa.
0: And certainly the First World War, which regular listeners know I'm fascinated with, included uh, fighting in Africa, not you know, it was just the European colonial powers there who were, you know, fighting over the, uh, the treasures that they could find. It amazed me. And there's one particular story about uh, some troops coming in there and, and a whole bunch of bees attacked them, and they couldn't deal with that. Anyway, so how did AFRICOM get there? Did the nations of Africa ask them to be there? And what was President Obama's role with regard to AFRICOM?
1: Yeah, so uh, in 2007, the Bush administration announced that it would establish uh, the first U.S. African command structure, or announced AFRICOM, potentially, and Libya, South Africa, Nigeria, and Zimbabwe denounced the concept, with most other African states uh, taking a similar stand soon afterwards. Um, and in 2008, Bush visited Africa and encountered Uh, Almost unanimous rejection of his AFRICOM plan, only Liberia showed an interest in hosting the AFRICOM headquarters. So um, since its inception, AFRICOM has been based in Stuttgart, Germany, Mm -hmm. just because of the fierce opposition from many African states. Uh, It was established in October 1st, 2008, but it's it's been forced to maintain its headquarters in Germany. And for President Obama, I mean, after... uh, after, um, after AFRICOM was a, a rebuked continent-wide almost, uh, the Obama administration paved the way for proliferation of AFRICOM on the continent as Quisling African leaders became more cooperative with the black US president. Uh, during the reign of uh, Obama, there was uh, a 1,900% increase in the US military presence on the continent. Wow. Um, yeah.
0: 1,900% uh, increase on the continent. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to to parallel that to I, I guess domestic affairs uh, under Obama there's a 2,400 percent increase in the value of military equipment transferred from the federal government to police forces across you know the United States through the Department of Defense's 1033 program which is something that the Black Liveser piece uh, points out pretty often just to you know make that connection we feel like there are a lot of connections uh, as you you've already kind of spoken about between um, you know, policing and, and militarism on the continent, the African continent, and then here in the United States.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, at least a lot of us—I mean, millions of Americans have known for a long time—but now, even us white people are recognizing that it's like right in our face. We can't possibly miss it. How many American missions are there in Africa, and what what are the three categories of mi- American military missions there?
1: Right. So um, in 2015, there was a report that surfaced that revealed that there were um, like three main forms of U.S. military presence uh, in Africa that were, uh, you know, uh, kind of just categories of basing. There are the forward operating sites, the cooperative security locations and the contingency locations. Um, and there are currently 46 various forms of bases, which it, uh, I, I guess there are 46 bases that take on those three forms um, on, on the continent as well as military-to-military military relations between 53 out of the 54 countries uh, in Africa and the United States. So that—that um, that is to say, uh, in terms of missions, I guess, uh, the, the U.S. Uh, was conducting 10 missions per day in 2017, according to General Thomas Waldhauser. Uh, and that that amounted to over 3,500 exercises, programs, and engagements per year on the continent. Uh, and and to speak to what we were talking about earlier, the nine uh, the 1,900 percent increase that's the most dramatic growth in deployment of America's troops of any on any region of the globe of the, over the past decade. So th- this has really been you know this uh, increase in the amount of missions and you know the bases and everything is. Uh, has come about because of Africa, uh, and you know the the coordination that that that, that, that this U.S. Africa Command has promoted on the continent for the U.S. military.
0: And what are we doing with drones there? They play a unique role, I guess. What do they do?
1: Yeah, so uh, drones are unmanned aircraft that are used for bombing and other activities that are deemed too dangerous for members of the U.S. military to carry out. It's low risk for the US in that sense, but they caused, you know, a lot of devastation in Africa and other parts of the world where drones are used. Um and the the US military uh built actually a hundred million dollar drone base in Niger, uh, which became operational last year. Huh. Uh and that's the largest construction effort in the air force's history. So um yeah, I, I think they're they're really just uh Forces to uh, carry out bombing, to carry out surveillance, to carry out um, missions that they, they seem to they deem too dangerous for, uh, I guess U.S. military members.
0: But they're fine for people on uh-huh. uh, the ground. Uh huh. But the U.S. is spending all this money there. Does it, don't local people get a lot of that money? Isn't that of benefit?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, they're. they're their are public budgets as far as like how much the U.S. is spending. Uh, there, in different reports, uh, come out like saying that they spend close to eleven billion on on uh, all of the U.S. programs on on the in the African continent, including Africa. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of that money does not go to African people. It's more to prop up uh, a lot of the the activities that the U.S. is engaged in. Um, and I, I find that uh yeah you know it's interesting like obviously the u s is self interest or whatever and they're they're not necessarily um yeah like they might they might try to give off the appearance that they' that they're trying that, that they're that they're there to help right. a lot of what their their help doesn't really um improve the lives of African people
0: well there's that whole missionary uh way of thinking that uh, I always found a little bit odd, but that's just me. One of the right. things that, that uh, interested me in doing this discussion was that on June 16th, there was an online symposium, which I learned is Soweto Day. What is Soweto Day?
1: Yeah, so June 16th, like you said, is is Soweto Day. It's like, Soweto is like Southwest Township. is an area in South Africa. Um, and the uh, the South African apartheid regime um cious viciously attacked a youth demonstration in 1976 of school children. Uh, and so those, that, those youth they played a critical role in leading um, leading like the struggle following that day and, and up to that day uh, of African masses against the US. supported white colonial majority or rather the minority in South Africa. So it was a series of demonstrations and protests uh, led by these black school children. It's estimated that, like, 20,000 20, students took part in the protests. And they they were met with very fierce police brutality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number, yeah, um, the number of pro- uh, protesters killed by police is usually, like, they, they say it, it, it's up to, estimates say it's up to 700 oh, people my. were killed. Wow. And so in, in remembrance of these events, um, June 16th is a public holiday in South Africa named Youth Day. And we celebrate it in the so I said, hey, as so as a day you as you
0: said yeah that's not good public relations i i would think you know kill all those kids out but they Now, uh in recent years i and a lot of people have heard about china in africa what what are they up to is it similarly imperialistic Or are they working more respectfully with locals? What about, you know, people say, well, if we don't, if we're not there, China's there and China is there. Are we in competition with China? Or or maybe I was wondering if we sort of wrote off investing in Africa after Trump called them what he did. Those, uh, I can't even say it on the air, something whole nations. What about China and Africa?
1: Yeah. So in 2009, China overtook, overtook the U.S is uh the African continent's largest trading partner. Uh so they they were uh you know taking or removing the West monopoly over export markets and investment finance. Uh so African countries no had no longer had to go to the IMF, uh-huh. hand loans and everything, uh and agreeing to all the, the terms that were offered but they could turn to China or even Libya at the time for investment. Um and so uh basically, the U.S. during any of those African countries for investment. China or, or uh, was, was able to, you know, buy or was on offer. Uh, so that, that really threatened, you know, Western and U.S. economic domination of Africa. So AFRICOM is, in many ways, a response to economic competition with China um, uh-huh. and China's increased influence on the continent um it's african africans also uh you know used to prevent the emergence of any independent african influence or force um so yeah so we, we were talking about the scramble for africa like we, we right. see this as like the new scramble uh so like u.s investments have been stopped like they continued uh the response to um china's maneuvers from the west and the united states was was mostly a military one not just that um and huh. so we, we Right, Oops. like the, the destruction of Libya and and um uh I guess military aid that the uh started to focus on, those have those have become more prominent in, in place of a lot of the economic prominence that the US used to exert. And China trade Chinese trade and investment in Africa continues to grow.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh like they, they're they're starting to take over in that sense. Um and the, the US they, they continue to speak out against against us, like former national security advisor John Bolton hmm. uh sp- speaks about China's attempts to gain a competitive advantage in Africa through predatory practices. Um and so they, they use all these um all these terms to to denounce China's involvement right. um and, and ignore like how US involvement is also detrimental to um Africa's uh, and things like that. So, yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Uh, China is also very self-interested. Yeah, they're they're trying to trying to uh, sustain their growth using African resources and things like that. But uh, you know, it the U.S. and China are definitely very very much it, um, competing in, in that sense.
0: So I wonder about uh, the the people in the various nations of Africa where China is investing. Uh, are they working together respectfully? Is it a partnership, or is it is it less imperialistic than than uh, America and Europe, or about the same?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think uh, it there there are some cases where uh, African uh, leaders, African like the leaders of African states, are very happy to accept the terms of uh, I guess Chinese loans and. Uh, things like the One Belt One Road po- policy oh, right, right. Um, uh, are, are are seen as more benevolent. I, I think there's there's also like a uh, some some cases where it, it things are more sinister. Um, so it, I, I think we're, we're still um, we're still waiting to see. I, I I don't think Chinese China is like the most benevolent uh, yeah. I guess actor <laughs> on, on the continent. I I think it helps it helps African countries to have you know, a choice. Like it, it helps to establish like a sense of multi polarity in, in the sense. Um that uh you know they, they aren't uh-huh. stuck with one option. They don't have to go to like the IMF the World Bank. Right. What what they need if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, IMF and World Bank to have them as the only source and you do it our way or you don't get anything at all. Uh, It's competition. Imagine that, competition. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And I'm pleased to to be talking with uh, Tunde Osazua uh, of the U.S. Out of Africa Shut Down Africa campaign. And, uh, you know, in this whole Black Lives Matter age, uh, this is a big part of it as well. You know, as we say, you know, racism doesn't stop at the... uh, at the water's edge. Now, most Americans have, of course, heard of Muammar Gaddafi, former leader of Libya in northern Africa. Of course, there are many brutal dictators in the world, some of whom we support, others the U.S. seeks to destroy. Do the goals of AFRICOM play a role in the American-led ouster of Gaddafi? And what is Libya like now?
1: Right. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think um the, the goals of AFRICOM did play a role in the ouster of Gaddafi. Uh in two thousand nine, uh Gaddafi was um elected president of the African Union, which is, you know, just a union of African leaders, uh, African heads of state. Uh, and he Gaddafi really led uh African opposition to AFRICOM as the head of the African Union, which okay. exasperated US you know U.S. diplomatic memos it revealed um, in the WikiLeaks, uh, I guess, expose, uh, and so they're U.S. Pleased to African leaders to embrace Africa in the fight against terrorism. Uh-huh. Um, Years, but uh, North Africa had like an effective security system in place uh, during the during the time of Gaddafi, um, and so. They, they didn't see the need for U.S. military presence. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so essentially NATO's destruction of Libya achieved three strategic goals for the West, Western plans for expansion. Because obviously, it moved the biggest obstacle uh, and opponent of the expansion, Gaddafi himself. And with uh, you know him gone, there was no longer any chance that Libya would act as a powerful force of Western militarism um, and they, they became quite dependent. Huh. Uh, secondly, yeah. Secondly, like the the total collapse of the effective North African security system, which had been underpinned by Libya, and um, finally NATO's annihilation of the Libyan state turned the country over to you know the the areas terror groups. Essentially, huh. those groups were able to loot Libya's military arsenals and set training camps and use uh, those uh, camps and arsenals to expand their operations in that North uh, North African and East African region. Uh, so, you know, it, I, I, we don't see it as a coincidence that um, almost all of the recent terror attacks in North Africa uh, have um, been either prepared in Libya or perpetrated by fighters trained in Libya. Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda, uh, the Islamic Maghreb uh Molly's um, DNA and literally dozens of others have all benefited from the destruction of India. Wow. So essentially Yeah. So <laughs> essentially by ensuring the spread of terror groups across the region, Western powers created a demand for their military assistance, which didn't exist before you know Gaddafi was deposed. Um, so we we see it as like a, a deliberate war crime by NATO. To, to destroy Libya. Um and uh, you know, obviously uh th- that success set off the trail uh, of disasters. Um uh. Uh, corporate media will talk about how Gaddafi was an autocrat and a dictator, but they'll omit this humanitarian disaster that was carried out by the United States, NATO and their partners. Um so I, I think uh yeah I, obviously Libya felt felt income of that and now there's there's been widespread reports of slave markets and, um, you know, just general uh, instability. There's all sorts of fights for for control over different regions um, within Libya. Uh, I think right now there are two main factions that are fighting for control. Um, So, yeah, there's just a a lot that came out of this that benefited the United States and really, uh, you know, destroyed a lot of... um, A a lot of lives that killed a lot of people and, you know, uh, made things a lot worse for people in Libya.
0: Interesting. I certainly did not know that Gaddafi uh, led the opposition to AFRICOM. That's a significant factor that somehow we didn't uh, learn here in the American news media. Funny thing about that. Now, again, showing my age here, I remember my childhood globe looking at Africa. There was something called French West Africa. It was huge, an area. What are the current nations, and is there still a colonial presence there?
1: Yeah, um, so French West Africa was like a colonial federation of eight French colonial territories. Mauritania, Senegal, French Sudan, which is now Mali, French Guinea, which is now Guinea, Ivory Coast, Upper Volta, which is now Burkina Faso, Dahomey, which is now Benin, and Niger. And the federation existed from... 1895 until 1958. And um, to speak to, uh, like, is, is there still a, a colonial presence, French companies still have um, basically a monopoly over the most strategic areas in these countries' economies yeah. and other countries' including, like, electricity, telecommunications, infrastructure, airports, and hardware uh. industries. So uh, France has continued... Influence on Francophone African foreign policy is very uh, apparent. Um, also, in in Africa's policy alignments. Also, the the CFA franc, which is the currency used by 14 countries still bound to France economically, is the last colonial currency on the African continent. Wow. So, if, yeah, yeah. So that includes. Uh, uh, decentralization of uh-huh. uh, these exchanges, reserves in the hands of the French Treasury, um, basically implying that the French Treasury is the Bureau de Change uh, of the countries that use the CFA franc. All conversion operations from the franc into other currencies have to pass right. via the French Treasury. And it's. uh I, I think it's also worth underlining that uh, the Bank of France holds 85% of, um, monetary gold stock, um, in, in, um, like the, the BCEAO, which is like a, uh, a consortium of the, of many of Francophone Africa's like economies. Uh, so essentially colonial France still, uh, the colonial era still exert yeah. some influence to this day. And, uh, a lot of these continue to make substantial debt, debt payments to France, um, um which uh they spoke about recently with with coronavirus, um I, I think uh Fr- French leaders were saying, "Oh, we should figure out how to lessen these debt payments because it can make it difficult for them to fight by covid nineteen essentially so th- there are a lot of um a lot of remnants of colonialism that continue to um you know work to the detriment of francophone Africa.
0: Well, yeah, there's always ways to uh to make money from it for sure. And you talked about uh coronavirus and you know, COVID nineteen is everywhere. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the impact of COVID nineteen on Africa. Are the former or current imperialists helping as they could? And and wouldn't they stand to benefit from providing aid? What's the reality about COVID nineteen and the colonialists in Africa?
1: Yeah, so um the uh colonists in Africa have uh, made some contributions in terms of uh assistance for health aid um but they're they're not too substantial i, I think I read about um maybe fifteen million uh from the u s going towards African countries to help them fight the virus but essentially none of them none of that aid um went to um uh, I guess countries that are most impacted by U.S. bombings, specifically uh, Libya and um, Somalia, and then also uh, drone bombing costs a lot more than, or like they, they invest much more in, you know, drone bombing and other means of uh, destruction, and they you know put towards helping African countries fight uh, fight the virus. Uh, so, you know, they they much more to to kill and to to destroy his lifestyle and they are, are doing to improve the health and well-being of those people in those countries.
0: Wow. I guess I shouldn't be surprised but uh, every now and then I am. And I, I remember again being as a kid being excited about Patrice Lumumba winning freedom and independence for the former Belgian Congo. I figured that since America was by nature anti-colonial, ha, huh, of course we would support him as well that didn't happen what are the natural resources there that the us wanted to control and what about the situation there now
1: yeah so um, you you might be surprised to hear that the us had a role in the in Patrice Lumumba uh, uh-huh. that that's some um, anyway but, yeah the, the drc the democratic republic of the congo is you know uh, very um, like it has so many natural resources. Uh, almost every valuable natural resource can be found there, from a multitude of minerals, including uh-huh. diamonds, gold, copper, cobalt, uh, tin yeah. ore, coltan, uh, even stretching to things like timber and oil. Uh, and these resources have been a, really a curse uh, on the country, um, just from all sorts of people fighting over them, uh, from from colonizers to uh, different, pitches and, uh, there, there are Western mining companies right now that have pro- proxy, armies. they are, you know, uh, causing all sorts of shit in the DRC, um, and then military regimes of, um, I guess heads of state in, in the area, uh, like Joseph Kabila of the DRC, Paul Kagame of Rwanda, um, Yoweri Museveni of Uganda, uh, they're, they're all behind, um, a, a lot of suffering uh, in, in the region, and essentially, um, that there's a lot of uh, fighting to, to control those resources. Sure. And uh, because of because of that, uh, destabilization does uh, aid imperialism in the sense that uh, states aren't able to, um, you know, maintain effective control over their resources. So it allows. Uh-huh. Uh, outside companies, you know, even more chance to, to exploit it and, and take advantage, if that makes
0: sense. Well, it makes sense, unfortunately. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're looking across the ocean at the giant continent of Africa in this age of Black Lives Matter. People are waking up to the fact that uh, systemic racism isn't just limited to the United States, but uh, the U.S. is doing it there as well, and other countries have as well. Our guest today is Tunde Osuzua from the U.S. Out of Africa Shutdown AFRICOM campaign. And before we get to the end, we'll talk about how people can help out if they're interested in helping out uh, what you're doing. Uh, And on the subject of uh, uh, Belgium and the the old Belgian Congo, I was thrilled to learn that in the wake of the George Floyd murder, a statue of Belgium's King Leopold II was taken down in Belgium. That's terrific. That's very heartening to me. Belgium is a very small country, and the Congo is 7,500% larger. That's amazing to me. Tell us, please, a little about the effects on Congo, and how it is symbolic of the general European so-called scramble for Africa, and how meaningful it may be to people in Africa about the you know trash in the statue of King Leopold II who was so brutal
1: right yeah like you said like you said King Leopold II was extremely brutal um the stories that uh come out of his uh his time as a colonial leader are, are horrifying um and i, I think uh, as far as how uh yeah it's definitely great news to hear that they they're taking down yeah. Uh, taking down his statue and everything um and I, yeah I, I would say that it, it's definitely emblematic of um how uh how i guess the the US and, and the, this new scramble of Africa are taking place uh i spoke a little bit earlier about how the US was involved in the plot to assassinate Lumumba yeah uh,
0: and,
1: yeah there there were these documents um, the declassified documents that revealed that the CIA had planned or had plotted for that assassination, and uh, Cong- the Congolese leaders that killed Lumumba received money and weapons directly from the CIA. Yeah, those being Mobutu Sese Seko and Joseph Kasa-Vubu. Mm. Um, and essentially, the U.S. believed that Lumumba was a communist and they fear monger because they thought, uh, you know, he would align with the Soviet Union and. Uh, this is during Cold War time, right? Uh, and so, essentially, like in in uh, 2013, um, the the State Department admitted that President Eisenhower authorized the murder of Lumumba. Oh, okay. um, it essentially, yeah, I, I think it's uh, emblematic in the sense of the idea that you know uh, U.S. operations in Africa, the Africa as well, are essentially. Tools to, uh, you know, uh, allow the United States um, more uh, access to resources and uh, essentially give them the ability to exert their their own um, power on the continent. I think uh, we can we can see that, you know, in the example of Lumumba and. Second, they're, they're using brutal means in, in order to, to do those things. And uh, Africa continues to do that, even, uh, though maybe more covertly. Uh-huh. Um, and I think uh, essentially, like, US military power is imposing US control over African land, resources, and labor. And that's exactly what the Congo offered um, and has offered since, since the uh, advent of colonialism. Um, and, and and it's being used now to serve U.S. corporations. Well, that it, it was used in the past.
0: Well, we just and, the U.S. thinks we have a right to do that. That some you know there are people who think we just have that right to do that because we're better than everybody else. It, it sickens me that people think that. But you know, and back in the in the fifties, under Eisenhower, who did some good things domestically, but did some awful things in terms of foreign policy, we divided up the world. Us against Russia. It, those were the two uh, entities that should control the world. And we fought over everything, and everything was defined that way. Vietnam was defined that way. How many millions, perhaps, of people lost their lives and limbs when it wasn't true? Vietnam was fighting for their independence. What about Russia now? We talked a little bit about China. What about Russia now in Africa?
1: Right. So... um yeah, I think there's been a lot of press even recently about uh Russia and how how uh they are um exerting influence in places like Libya and um other uh other African states uh and I, I think whenever the US is um concerned about I guess uh like other like obviously it's a scramble for Africa these these are um, states that are competing for control over African resources, whether that be land, labor, or, you know, actual like natural resources. Um, and so, like, there, there was a, a recent claim about Russian mercenary jets in Libya. And it, I think, like, Moscow like, or Russia denied it, but, um, I, I think Ru- Russia's also involved in terms of trying to exert influence, um, because obviously every, every country is. Self-interested to an extent, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I, I would say that um, there were uh, there are a lot of ways that uh, Russia and, e- and even Turkey, there there are a number of uh, different countries that are um, you know in, in, involved in different sure. uh, different foreign policy objectives. I spoke about Libya and like the the competition over who can you know gain, get into power. Like, Russia and Turkey support the GNA, and they send troops uh, to Tripoli to help the GNA, which is one of the competing forces in, in Libya, gain mm. control. Um, and so I, I think, you know, uh, the U.S. tries to insist that Russia is destabilizing Libya, but the U.S. has a much larger role, in, in my opinion. Uh-huh.
0: What about Europe? They've certainly had some interests in the old scramble for Africa. What about now? Are they learning the lessons? Maybe,
1: maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think I don't know if learning uh, the lessons is how I would describe it. Uh, I think they're, they now act as junior partners of um, the United States in the sense that they tend to um, tend to you know side with the U.S. and, and many of uh, the U.S.'s foreign policy objectives. Um, like we spoke about the destabilization of Libya and many Western European powers were involved in that, that attempt. Um, and then, um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, like specifically Germany, the United Kingdom and, and, uh, and others, um, are, are very much engaged in those, those types of activities. And then we also spoke about France a little bit and France's relationship with, uh, with many parts of the continent is, uh, to how the United United Kingdom, how Germany, how um other, you know, European powers uh, you know, practice neocolonialism or just general like there there are remnants of colonialism that continue to continue to negatively affect African people. Um and uh, I guess things for, like debt, um things like um I guess like uh, basically, colonial policing systems are, are still in place. There, there are many different examples of how European, um, I guess, power on the continent seems to, uh, you know, like I said, negatively affect uh, African people.
0: You mentioned uh, colonial policing. Gosh, why does that make me think of the mainland here? <laughs> um there's this Saudi regime. The U.S. loves the Saudi regime, murderous though they are. I wonder if you could tell us about the role of the Saudis and the other wealthy Arab oil states' role in Africa these days.
1: Right. So uh, Saudi Arabia and many of those uh, states are also junior partners in U.S. imperialism. Um, they're, they're just looking to benefit from the plunder of um of Africa to the detriment of African people. Uh Saudi Arabia uses its commercial, political and military ties with mostly I guess East African states, uh to ally with the US on various imperialist projects. Um and so I think uh their role is, is just to facilitate a lot of um a lot of the initiatives that um help transfer wealth from the continent to um you know yep. other yep. like foreign entities
0: sounds familiar <laughs> a few years ago there was a popular american film called black hawk down i did not see it i have no interest in it in the symposium discussion on uh, soweto day there were, it was it was called the propaganda movie movie about the u.s and somalia what is the political reality in somalia we hear some bits and pieces about somalia these days what's the reality there and in what ways was that a propaganda movie
1: yeah so um i think the us mainstream media and politicians and even that movie uh placed the majority of the blame of the crisis in somalia on al shabaab which is an islamist insurgent group that controls most of southern somalia um but in fact, so the main culprit behind the crisis in Somalia is the United States government that led the military invasion of the country um, from 1992 to 93 in a nefariously uh, named operation called Operation Restore Hope. And ever since, Somalia has been a perpetual state of war. Oh. Al Shabaab is, yeah, Al Shabaab was actually um, a product of this U.S. destabilization. They they formed in 2006. And obviously, they, they, they do some terrible things, um, but they, they're definitely, um, I guess, a product of, of the perpetual state of war that Somalia has been in since 1992 um, because of U.S. intervention. And the U.S. utilizes this ability to a deathly thrown war on people that uh, control Somali uranium, iron ore, uh-huh. the sort of bauxite and natural
0: gas. Now, a few years ago, El Shabaab attacked a shopping mall in Kenya, I believe. What is, tell tell us about that. What is Kenya's role in Somalia, and for that matter, Ethiopia?
1: Yeah, so. um, What about that? Yeah, what what about uh, that
0: attack on the shopping mall? Yeah,
1: so the relationship between Kenya and Somalia is, you know, in tents, um, and it's been escalated in recent years because of things like that attack on the shopping mall. Um, and I, I think uh, they're, you know, they they have the maritime borders viewed. They have a, a lot of things to, um, I guess, that that they fight over. Uh, Somalia has been like a constant state of political instability for uh, a number of decades uh, since the U.S. invaded um and uh i somalia and kenya or for, rather kenya is very much engaged in uh i guess conflict in, in somalia as a result of al shabaab's activities the threat posed by al shabaab prompted the kenyan government to develop strong ties with uh jubaland which is like a semi autonomous somali state in southern somalia bordering uh kenya and Nairobi, or, or Kenya rather, perceives Jubaland as um, an important buffer zone between its territory and Al-Shabaab controlled territory in Somalia. So, um, you know, Kenya is, is has definitely been engaged in some of the civil wars or some of the wars that have been waged in, in Somalia. Um, and uh, Also, Ethiopia has been engaged in, in a lot of those wars as well, as you mentioned. Um, and I think they they tend to they they partnered with the U.S. in some cases in, in terms of uh, how they how they fight in those wars um, and it, it's a it's a complicated situation in the sense that yeah. there are many competing interests um, but I think there there are a lot of factors that go into the Kenya Somali Ethiopian relationship if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's all complicated, but it's nice when, uh, you know, we or or the Russians or the Belgians or whatever kind of, you know, allow other people to have control over their own areas. And it, Trump, of course, flip-flops many times a day. He had said that Trump, he said he was against America's never-ending wars. But, you know, this Obama had... Sounds like a fairly imperialist policy as well in Africa. What has actually happened under the trump regime regime? Has she had to you know try to stop these so-called never-ending wars? What's happened in Africa under trump?
1: yeah, so um Trump inherited an African policy that like you said um uh, has um i guess uh created a situation of perpetual war uh Nick. Terce, wrote uh, a few years ago about how the increase in African operations across the continent is correlated pretty precisely with the rise in terror threats Nick Tur said um, uh, by increasing numbers of lethal terror attacks across the continent um, uh, in- including those in Burkina Faso Burundi Cameroon Central African Republic and he goes on the list of different states uh, they've really stoked um, I guess, So, terror, and in fact, data from the National Consortium of the Study of Terrorism, Responses to Terrorism, at the University of Maryland, shows the attacks have spiked over the last decade, roughly coinciding with AFRICOM's establishment. And in 2007, just before it became an independent command, there were fewer than 400 such incidents annually in sub-Saharan Africa. That's before AFRICOM was established. And last year, the number um, reached nearly 3,000. So by AFRICOM's own official standards, you know, they, they, their actions have been a failure if, if we see it as an attempt to, you know, curb terrorism. Yeah. Um, the view from the perspective of the protection racket, it's a resounding su- success. So like I said, this is the policy that Trump inherited. That, um because, like, it really hasn't been understood as the protection racket it is, um, a lot of commentators um, have believed that he's somehow ignoring or reversing the approach of his predecessors, but in fact, uh, he's escalating it and, it's, and not really abandoning this pr- approach at all. Uh, what the Trump administration is doing, as uh, uh, it's doing in a lot of other policy areas, is stripping the previous policy of its soft power maxities to reveal and extend the iron fist, which has been uh-huh. in the driving seat all along. So Trump, like it, with his openness thing for Africa, as you mentioned. You know, uh, he, he's he's referred to a lot of countries, uh, and uh, he basically ended U.S. development aid for Africa, slashing overall African aid levels by a third, and transferring responsibility for, for the rest um, of the rest from the agency for international development to the Pentagon. Um, and so, you know, Trump has actually stepped up drone attacks. He's removed a lot of the well, the limited restrictions that had been in place during the Obama area, hmm. which has ramped up civilian casualties and consequently increased the resentment and hate and hatred which fuels military recruitment by, you know, terrorist groups or, or others um, that might not be with uh, I guess, US goals. Um for example, uh the Al-Shabaab truck bombing that killed over 300 people in Mogadishu, um, I guess last August, was carried out by a man from the town which has suffered a major drone attack on civilians, including women and children, mm. a few months prior. So, yeah, I I, I wouldn't say he reversed anything. Um, He's he really just mm. stepped things up um, and removed a lot of the niceties behind him.
0: Uh-huh. The image. I don't think I'm going to vote for him in November. Um, You say, well, I I wonder, you know, here we are in the U.S. of A. Groups like the Black Panthers have known for some 50 years about the need to fight back against racist violence. How does the U.S. out of AFRICOM effort intersect with the Black Lives Matter movement and moment that's happening right now?
1: Yeah, so essentially... Uh we we definitely believe in um like the 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 movement against uh the US settler colonial state in the sense that uh you know we're we're at a time of largely youth led uprisings against the state. And um we, we strongly believe that a mass movement has to be forced to expose AFRICOM and its real purpose and make it inseparable with the concerns we have and I guess Black, black lives matter. Their policing and the militarization of police, and how uh, police leads to many, um, I guess, deaths of, of uh, black people and uh, people of color. Um, we, we we definitely want to connect our, our work with the, that type of um, oh, and um, make make the concerns of, of kind of inseparable. Um, but essentially, we, we also spread the word because. Uh, Many people aren't aware of AFRICOM and you mentioned the top business program. So, um, that's, that's a lot of what we're trying to do, you know, spread, spread the word, uplift the voices of people, fight, fighting back people on the continent, people in diaspora. Um, so a lot of our work is focused on political education in the form of, you know, that symposium and then, uh, a lot of uh, the emails that we send out, uh, we, we, um, are engaged in all sorts of uh, coalition work with other Black boards, how uh, it just um, um, I guess create like a um, trying to force this mass movement, essentially.
0: There is often resistance to that, but this is certainly, I think, it appears to be a moment. Um, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. Uh, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking with uh, one of the leaders of U.S. Out of Africa shut down Africom campaign. Tunde um, Ossuza website. What can people do on the internet? What are the demands of the U.S. Out of Africa campaign? Uh, is our Congress listening? I have a feeling uh, Ilyan Omar is being from Somalia, but but what what about what can people? Do? What's a website? What can people do? And is our Congress listening? Three questions.
1: Yeah. So I would say that uh, people can join our U.S. network at. Uh, ww.blacklinesforpeace.com uh, backwards join US out of African network. Um, and uh, from there that's that, that's our organizing arm. I and I'm, I'm the coordinator essentially we, we spread the word we we are creating an activist toolkit with which people can you know find the, the, the tools that they need to spread the word and then also just learn more about what what's happening right now in terms of Africa. Um, so I, I, definitely encourage people to sign up at, at that, at that link, to join U.S. Out of Af- join U.S. out of Africa network. Um, in, in terms of Congress yeah. um, and our demands, uh, our demands are for the complete withdrawal of U.S. forces from Africa, the demilitarization of the African continent, the closure of U.S. bases throughout the world. And, uh, we, we also are calling for the Congressional Black Caucus to oppose AFRICOM and conduct hearings. On Africom's impact on the continent, uh, and so um, you know we, we believe it's imperative that this, the congressional Back caucus take a clear and explicit position on Africom. Are they for or against it? Um, and so part of this call is for the CDC to hold comprehensive public hearings on the impact of Africom. So in terms of like what what like I guess Congress people are doing, you mentioned Ilhan Omar. Yeah. He released that statement uh, in response to. I guess, the, um, you know, the, the reporting of, of deaths uh, by by AFRICOM. They, they claim to have only killed two or maybe four people. And and she said that, that there needs to be more transparency. And uh, we at we, uh, the Black Lives of Peace believe that, you know, they need to go much further, right? Like, to, to call for uh, transparency is, in fact, to legitimize AFRICOM and say that, you know, they're, they're doing... The right things, and uh, and they have the right purpose. When in fact, their purpose is very much uh, to control African resources, and we, we just don't think that uh, you know her statement went even close to far enough. It, it was it was de- definitely something that we took um the uh, to cumbridge and so uh, I I wrote an article with Nefer Freeman, um, the head of the Africa team, a uh, black lives Matter piece about Ilhan Omar's response. Uh, we've been engaged with her, um, in the past. Um, and and we're, we're really trying to engage Congress people just to, um, you know, as a, as a way of of organizing, um, Barbara Lee, actually, um, you know, put out a proposal to, to half the military budget, which we think is a step in the right direction. Um, uh, and we, we engage with her as well. Um, that, yeah, I think, uh, a lot of the statements by our conscious people don't really go far enough. So we're trying to push them and um, by pushing them, you know, engage more people, uh, engage the masses, because we truly believe it's a mass movement that will accomplish our goals. So yep. you know, that's, that, what, that's how we're seeing it.
0: That's what it takes, I think. And I, I get the sense. I mean, I'm always optimistic. It's absurd, I suppose. I must be naive. What about momentum? in this unique moment in American history. I, I feel something powerful going on here. What do you think?
1: I agree with you. Um, I think there's a lot of momentum. I, I've been definitely encouraged by, um, you know, the, the actions that people are taking, um, like people in the streets, uh, people yes. are, are really uh, trying to educate themselves on, on a number of issues. And I, I think that is absolutely the right move. Um, I think we need to... Um, you know, direct a lot of this energy towards uh, more organizing and getting people into more sustained movement work. If that makes sense, sure. like, uh I think people need to join organizations and find political homes and, and start to, you know, work towards the world that they want to see um, and, and fight against the oppression and, and exploitation and things like that. So, I'm definitely very inspired, um, and I, I think um, we as organizers, like. Uh, we, had, you know, the Black Lives of Peace, the South African Network, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and and other organizations. Uh, I guess movement for Black Lives and um, and and many others. I think it's on us to really try and direct this energy towards yes. productive organizing and, and and you know mass public consciousness raising and things like that.
0: And sustained. You got to sustain it. Again, the website Black Alliance for Peace said it.
1: Exactly blacklinesrepeace.com uh-huh. uh, and if you want to join the network, com. backwards join us out of African network.
0: Thank you so much. really, really appreciate it. Twende Osazua and uh, the Black Alliance We it's happening, it's happening. thanks so much for being with us on keeping democracy alive.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.